is freaking out of. This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Kidding. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Now, this is probably a mistake. I shouldn't let G. Scott influence what we talk about other than in the 25 minutes that we give him every week. But I don't know. Maybe I'm getting soft in my old age and not just in the middle. Like maybe I'm I don't know. I just I'm I'm losing it a little bit. Some of my edge is obviously wearing off. Like suggested possibly doing a different ranking today. I'm kind of worried about you. Like, I think with Justin gone, you're missing a piece of yourself. I'm a little sad. Yeah. Justin completes me. What can I tell you? (laughs) I feel like, I feel like he really completes me. And now, you know, he's off. (laughs) He's gallivanting around Austria with his girlfriend. We think, right. (laughs) So, yeah, no, G asked me a good question. He says, uh, he asked it to all of us and we'll talk about a little bit with him when he comes in at eight 30, but he said, you know, why should he believe in the Mariners this year? Why are they going to be better than a year ago? It's a good question, right? Why are they going to be better than they were last year? And I think it's easy for those of us who do this every day and are kind of obsessed with it to kind of get caught up in the minutia. But I've been asked this question a bunch, not just by G, which is why it kind of stood out to me of like, yeah, there are a lot of people who have been head down, paying attention to football, don't care enough about offseason baseball, don't care much about offseason baseball, don't really know what the Mariners did, didn't do, et cetera. And so, you know, just thinking about it broadly, why are the Mariners going to be better this year than last year? Three reasons. One, they upgraded their two worst positions last year. They got better in right field. They got better at second base, right? Now, right field wasn't supposed to be a problem for them last year, but unfortunately, Mitch Haniger missed most of the year. And during the part of the year where he was back, he wasn't the same Mitch Haniger. So, yeah, they upgrade in right field. They let him walk, and they bring in Teoscar Hernandez, who should, should be the second or third best hitter on this team. And I know people are sort of upset because they traded for him rather than signing him. But I believe that Teoscar Hernandez is a pretty good hitter. Certainly has enough pop. Justin Hollander, when you asked why did you sign him, said because he hits the ball really, 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 really hard. Really hard. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this dude can hit. He is built like a rock. I mean, he looks like Jamal Adams. I mean, like he is rocked up and he can really hit the ball hard. He's going to play right field for Which you. Which is something that our friends Winker and Frazier did not do. Yes. I mean, not even close. Yeah. So if you think about where they were at last year, I mean, unfortunately, Mitch was not much of a help by the time you made it to the postseason. And you're going to upgrade right field significantly. And then you just mentioned Adam Frazier. Again, deal that was supposed to work out last year. It obviously did not. Um, and so you upgraded second base. Is Colton Wong definitely going to work? No, no, nothing's definite. But, you know, you look at his career numbers He should, should be an upgrade at second base, especially if you're able to do more of a platoon with Dylan Moore. I think you like his speed, et cetera. So if you upgrade just those two positions, that helps. And when you talk about upgrading, I would say they also upgraded their pitching staff. And we've kind of gone through this a few times. You know, Luis Castillo joins the team in July, late July. Well, that's only two months of Luis Castillo last year. Now you're going to have him for six months. That's three times as long. So if he was worth one win, according to baseball reference last year, his war was one triplet. 
Okay, well, that should be two more wins, right? And the upgrades that you made offensively could be worth three more wins, according to those projection systems. I know that's not an exact science, but that should make your team better. So number one, they upgraded their worst positions and their pitching staff. Number two, their young core now has experience. Julio, Raleigh, Kirby, Gilbert, those four. Those four guys could all be better than they were a year ago, just based on where they're at in their development. Two of them didn't play early in last season, right? Cal Raleigh was in the minors for most of the beginning of the year, and so was George Kirby until eventually they called him up to replace uh, Brash. So two of those guys didn't even play for the most part in April and May. And then two of them didn't really get going until later, that being Cal Raleigh and, and Julio. If you remember, Julio in April and even into May was getting called out on strikes constantly, right? I mean, not that he was bad, but he wasn't Julio, right? He wasn't the full-fledged what he became once he well, really he got going. That wasn't until Memorial Day. On. Yeah, it wasn't really till Memorial Day that he really busted out. Well, that's, you know, a month and a half into the season. So think about what you what what you get now with a full season of all four of those guys, also a year older, a year better of understanding the league. They are still on the upside of their career, and they don't really have a lot of guys who should be regressing because of age. So that would be my second reason why I, I really think they can be better this year. Third reason, they don't need to be. If you start June 1st, the Mariners were on 100 win pace from June 1st till the end of the year. Once they kind of got over whatever was going on with them at the beginning of the year, and that's unfair. I mean, you can always take any little little piece. I mean, that includes the big win streak, et cetera. So I'm not, I'm not putting this out there as like, oh, they're definitely now a 100-win team. But for a good portion of the year, once their team started to come together, once they stopped messing around with some of the guys that were here early in the year, some of the veterans that couldn't play, D'Souza and a few of, the, a few of those other guys, once, once they really started to settle into what this team is, with Cal Raleigh catching and Julio turning into who he turned into and Kirby into the rotation instead of Brash, Brash into the, into the bullpen to help bolster that, once they be, Munoz turning into the player he became, once they became the team they were last year, they played 100-win baseball. That would be unbelievable. Mariners win 100 games this year? We're jumping up and down. Are you kidding me? They've won 90 each of the last two. My hope is that they win 95 this year, that they can be five games better. They played 100-win pace from June 1st on last year. So there's three reasons why I think the Mariners can be better than they were a year ago. Are they perfect? No, because I could also give you three reasons they won't be as good. Their pitching staff could get hurt. They didn't suffer any major injuries last year. They could have a setback in terms of how they handle one-run games. They've been unbelievable for two straight years, and a lot of that is because of their bullpen. I could absolutely see down years for Eugenio Suarez, Ty France, J.P. Crawford may not continue to get I mean, like, I could Cal Raleigh may not take that next step. I can write you a lot of scripts where the Mariners don't win as many as 90 games last year. But I do believe the most probable. That's why John Stanton dubbed you Chicken Little. No, I I think you just, it's being realistic, (laughs) right? I think that the most probable situation is that they're a little bit better, that they win a few more games than they did last year, somewhere in the 95 range, which would be awesome and send you into the playoffs, maybe as a wild card, and maybe depending on what happens with the Astros this year, 
maybe you are able to catch them or be real darn close down the stretch. So that's me. That that that's why I am high on the Mariners. More, I know you had some reasons as well. Brady's got some. I'll tell you what, we're gonna do everything you need to know. And after that, give me a couple of reasons why you think the Mariners could be better this year than they were a year ago. So we'll do that coming up next. It's Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710, SeattleSports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, Mariners pitchers did work out yesterday. We saw some bullpens as well, which was pretty darn cool. What did we learn? Well, Robbie Ray joined us, told us he's been working on another new pitch, uh, which he was uncomfortable revealing. But then Jerry DePoto came on an hour later and said, oh, it's a split finger fastball. So I guess the uh, damage has been done there. Apparently, Logan Gilbert is doing the same. And Pete Woodworth, pitching coach, joining Bump and Stacy yesterday, said they're not alone. I think every single one of them will have a new weapon this year. A handful of those guys got off the mound today. Yeah, Robbie's got one. Kirby's got one. Gilbert's got one. Flexen's got one. Luis Castillo's really good. I don't think he needs one. Yeah, I kind of agree with him. Just keep throwing those four pitches, and he should be just fine. And I like stories of new pitches, new weaponry, et cetera. It's more fun than whoever's you know in the best shape, et cetera. I think it probably matters more. But for whatever it's worth, at 31 years old, Marco Gonzalez sounds like he's that guy who's in the best shape of his career, trimmed down just a little bit. And I just got a sneaky feeling that he is going to have a monster year for him. Doubted last year, left off the playoff roster, super competitive dude. Wouldn't surprise me if he has a really, really great year. But in general, this pitching staff is why Jerry DePoto so high on this team. No, it's so fun. You know, everybody came in, the like, as expected, the energy is high. As expected, we have multiple guys in the shape of their lives. And, you know, I think the the vibe in our clubhouse, you know, around the, the facility, at the same time that our, our major league group arrived, our pitchers and catchers, we've got a number of our position players who are already here early. And, you know, our group of minor league, the satellite campers for our more advanced uh, minor league players began uh, yesterday as well. So uh, we, we went through our physicals. We've got a high population and ready to see some baseball. Yeah, I think we all are very excited for where this thing goes as position players will be next to report to Peoria. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, busy time of year for John Schneider. Uh, before everything really gets going, they got to get ready for the draft, ready for free agency, ready for trades, etc. Yesterday, he took some time to give a little update to Wyman and Bob on where he's at with his quarterback, Geno Smith. This isn't like, you know, because we you can't sign people until... Uh, you know, free agency doesn't start until the middle of March. So, you, yeah. you know, there's a huge period here where we have time to, you know, work through things. And where are we with Gino? Yeah, uh, you know, good talk so far. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're in it. We're just trying to, you know, figure out what's best. Well, it's a pretty good spot to be. Um, I don't know exactly what he means there. <laughs> I mean, I've listened to that cut five, ten times now. I, I, it's hard to read a good job by John, not really tipping his hand very much of where they're at with Geno Smith. Uh, Geno has said that they're in a pretty good place. John says that they're in it, but, you know, nothing's gotten done yet. Deadline spur action, so we still got about a month before I would expect to see anything get done. But, you know, in the meantime, Dave Canales goes to Tampa. We'll see where other teams are at and how these quarterbacks start to sort themselves out as uh, eventually Derek Carr will start to set that market as well. One other piece of news coming out of the Schneider interview yesterday with Wyman and Bob did mention that assistant receivers coach Brad Idzik is also going to be leaving. He will join Dave Canales in Tampa. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Schultz, Wenberg again, draws the attention of Scott Lawton. Tolvanen, Schultz, they score! What an unbelievable game he had. Yanni Gord was incredible last night. Kraken win 6-2, dominate Philadelphia exactly what they needed to do. But Gord was everywhere. Parked in front of the net, slap shot from the point. I mean, you just, you, or from this high slot, rather. I mean, you name it. He found a way to score twice, assist once, provide a screen on another goal, and be the other part of a two-on-one on McCann's goal. I mean, it just... He was everywhere. What a remarkably wonderful game for Yanni Gord yesterday. And Dave Haxtall, pretty happy with where his team's at right now. We're a good team. That guy's, guy's giving a meter is high. They, they play hard for one another. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a good hockey term right now. Guys give a bleep meter is pretty high. That's good. And in hockey, that matters. Just how much you see it in their willingness to block shots. You see it. See Jared McCann block that shot last night, block a second one, and then find a way down the ice to set up that goal. Tremendous. I mean, that that's exactly what Hackstall's talking about, and he's absolutely right. Tiger Woods yesterday closed out his uh, first round of the Genesis Invitational with three consecutive birdies. <laughs> I mean, what a finish. What a finish. Gutted it out. Birdie, birdie. That was pretty cool. Tiger finished with three straight birdies, and his whole group all birdied the 18th hole, Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy as well. It was pretty darn cool to see all three of those guys sink their putts. Now, the challenge for Tiger is that he's got to bounce back without much rest, right? I mean, it's the ankle and how he handles it. They were the late group yesterday, early group today. So how does he handle quickly getting back out on the course? We'll find out. I'll tell you what, he sure looked strong yesterday. He was out driving both Rory and Justin Thomas, which is not easy to do, certainly for a man of his age. Pretty impressive for Tiger Woods. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. Uh, We do that quarter past every hour here on the new Brock and Salk show. Uh, We were talking earlier about reasons you believe the Mariners are going to be better than last year. Uh, And you can text them in if you got some thoughts. 866-979-3776. Give me a reason you think the Mariners are going to be better this year than they were a year ago. That's Mac and Jack's text line. Brady, Mora, I know both of you guys spent some time on this. Give me a reason the Mariners will be better this year than last year. Go ahead, Brady. Easy first one. Full season of Luis Castillo. And in right field, hopefully with Teoscar Hernandez, less injuries, Mm. more production. So you you were a pitcher, right? You pitched in college. I did. Tell me about Luis Castillo. What makes Luis Castillo special to you? Arm slot, release point. In terms of all his pitches, identical arm slot, identical release point. There's no tipping. You don't see his wrist coming across on a slider or a changeup. You don't see the grip coming out. He hides the ball well. Mm. And when he releases, I've seen overlays of his pitches when he throws them. It's like you don't tell until maybe a few feet in front of the plate. Isn't that crazy? That it's, it could be a fastball coming at 98, tailing. It's unbelievable. I could just see hearts coming out of Salk's head. I know. There he is. Give me my music. Yes. Tell me more about Luis. My sweet prince. 
My sweet La Piedra. <laughs> Maura, give me a reason the Mariners are going to be better this year than they were a year All ago. All right. Well, you guys have already done a lot of the good ones. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with one that's this simple. It sure as heck can't hurt that Justin Verlander is out of the division and with the Mets now. Like, it's obvious that it's good for the Astros not to have him, but also the fact that the Mariners chased him six times last year and only won one of those matchups. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, certainly removing him from the division should be a plus. Still going to have to find a way to beat the Astros, and that's still a really good team, uh, and they're still in your division, but you still got all those games against the A's, all those games against the Rangers, all those games against the Angels, and it's not as many as it used to be. They're changing the schedule a little bit, but yeah, I I, I like the Mariners' chances this year, and I think that's another good one, right? Just the opportunity uh, for him to move on. Um, They're a good team. They're going to be a good baseball team. Right. I mean, I, I think for the first time we can feel pretty comfortable coming off of a playoff experience saying, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. They felt like they started to tap into their potential a year ago. Right. And that there's still more left on the table. So I don't think you're going to get a team that rests on its laurels and says, oh, yeah, no, we're all good. Quite the opposite. I think they're, you know, look, if you're Jared Kelnick and, and Pollock and left field. You're doing everything in your power to make sure you convince Jerry DePoto not to go get somebody to replace you, right? Well, I mean, that's that... one of my other reasons that I wrote down. They showed with the Luis Castillo trade last year that if they should be off to a smoother start, I would think this year because of what you mentioned with the younger players. Mm-hmm. Being, but if they get off to a better start and then they hit a lull or they find out that they do need another hitter, I think they've shown they're not scared to go out and get someone. Well, and certainly in left field, they might have to. Jason Churchill on yesterday with Bump and Stacy said exactly that, and I agree with him. But if he's still struggling to make contact and we see the strikeout numbers 30-plus percent and we're not seeing consistency, Seattle has to cut bait. And I'm not saying you DFAM. I'm saying you have to move on and go get a veteran. I totally agree with him. And thankfully, when we've asked folks... They say that shouldn't be that hard to do, right? We asked uh, 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 Jeff Passan, hey, how, how hard would it be to get a bat to play left field a couple months into the season? Pretty easy. Great. So you give it a shot with Kelnick. You, you give him every opportunity to succeed. He's not going to have to face left-handed pitching. You hit him low in the lineup. You don't put a lot of expectations on him. And if it doesn't work, you replace him. Not that hard. So I love it. I like the way they're doing. I like the plan going forward. And I do think they can be better than they were a year ago. Now, from my positivity to the great negativity of Joe Fan, he will join us next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, it's a good Friday leading into a long weekend for most folks. And, uh... Long week for a lot of other folks as well as uh, Seattle Public Schools off all next week. And I know a lot of kids around the area are going to be on vacation for midwinter break next week. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, one of those days where a lot of people are getting ready to go away. Uh, We will still do open phone lines. Hopefully still have enough folks listening today uh, to be able to pull that off. But, uh, yeah, Friday before a long weekend, Friday before potentially school vacation week for a lot of people. I'm curious how many people are left in Seattle today, but we will speak with our guy, Joe fan. He's in Vegas. That never changes. No matter what Vegas is probably even busier this week with the long weekend coming up. Joe, how are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? I'm great. Uh, I'm just loving where we're at golf wise. I get a lot of Mariner stuff to talk to you about. We got to start with the golf. I mean, between Tiger yesterday at Riviera, the debut of full swing this week, let's start with Tiger. What'd you think of him yesterday? 
You know what? It, it was really cool. It's, it's, it's obviously a nice place to start when you can start on one, a super birdieable par mm-hmm. five, try to get us a little bit of good vibes going. But yeah, when you make the turn and, and you, you have a couple bogeys and you're, you're over par and, you know, I mean, he, he just is sort of treading water and then, well, to end with a, a trio of birdies. I mean, that was, I loved, I don't know if you saw it on social media or maybe you saw it live on the broadcast, but the, the smirk he gives Justin Thomas, you know, sort of after it's all done when they're greenside. Yep. Uh, it was just kind of like, here, I'm here. I'm here, baby. Like, like this is, like, I love it. it it's, uh, it's awesome. I, I've just sort of tapped into the documentary. I love that they started with Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, mm-hmm. uh, two of the best personalities in the sport. Um, I agree with you, man. I think, I think, uh, I think golf's in a great spot. I think it's going to be fascinating when you get some of, you know, the, the live guys back in the majors or at least the masters this year. Um, I'm just, yeah, I think it's, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've, I've been, I've been locked in, you know, really since this, this season started. Yeah. The, you know, it's interesting watching tiger yesterday. Um, first of all, I thought he was going to cry at the end. Honestly, I, I, I know you said he smirked. I agree with you. He did sort of give Justin that smirk. I thought he was going to start crying. Well, I mean, kind of like he did, you know, last year when he was at St. Andrews. I, I thought he was going to kind of break down out there, but he didn't. He held it together, and and we'll see how his ankle responds today because I think that'll be a challenge for him walking a second day, especially on short rest. But um, it, it was uh, it was it's crazy how much he changes a broadcast. They basically just showed his group with Rory and Justin Thomas exclusively the entire broadcast yesterday. Yeah, and they they throw in a birdie putt here or there. But yeah. if you're not, you know, pouring in birdies, they ain't showing you. And you know what? Like, that's as it should be because there's only so many of these opportunities you have left. And he's made it very clear. You know, the end is, is, is coming sooner rather than later. And it just it's hard to imagine his body has this sort of uh, second wind after all it's been through to where he'd be able to sustain, you know, even a couple of years of playing regularly and competitively. Mm-hmm. And he said it, he's made it very clear. He's not going to be this ambassador of golf from a playing standpoint. Like he'll, he'll host events. He'll be there. He'll be part of it, but he's not going to just show up to the masters or show up to, to events and just play and, and shake hands and kiss babies and, and wave and smile. And, you know, unless he thinks, unless, you know, if he if he doesn't think he can win, he's not going to be playing. And so, yeah, I think these are really moments we have to savor because yesterday was was really cool. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think he owes that to anybody either. I mean, he's already done his job in growing the game, right? All the money love, that these guys are making, yeah. all the private j- jets that they're flying on in the in the documentary series, all of that is because of Tiger and what he brought to the game in terms of popularity and money. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, he owes he owes the game of golf nothing. And you know what's cool is like you can just tell how much it means to the other guys in the field to yes. have him there. You know, he's sort of this this just kind of wise old man at this point, but he still has clearly the killer instinct to where I think it fires everybody else up. So I, I guarantee you, everybody, at least guys who aren't, you know, trying to win the tournament. You know, and you know, guys who are on the fringe of the cut, they probably want to see him play poorly. But guys who are really in the mix. They want to. They want to take a run at Tiger, and they want Tiger to take a run at them. Mm-hmm. I think it, they they know it adds to what's happening in the tournament, um, and so yeah, I think it's it's all just really, really. Hopefully, he can continue it, and we get to see a full weekend of it where he can potentially hang around the top twenty. 
um, or even higher. But but we'll see. It all depends on how the ankle holds up, and that's a huge question mark. Hey, are you going to drive over to Peoria at all? I mean, it's it's a hike, obviously, but it's drivable for you. Are you going to drive into spring training at all? You know, I've thought about that. You know, I've I've, I've talked to a buddy who's in the organization who's who will be down there for the month. Um, so have a place to stay. I would love to make it down there. Um, and so, yeah, maybe I've, I've got a wedding at the beginning of March and the end of March, but somewhere there in the middle, mm. uh, I might try to sneak over and would, would love to, to just, you know, see some of the young guys. But spring training, the vibe of spring training is just such a good time. And so, yes, I, I will. I will try. My goal is to try to make it over there. Good. Maybe even think it up around when the World Baseball Classic's happening there and try to catch some of that as well and double dip. But uh, yeah, certainly. It's a great month to be in Arizona. If you've never been to spring training, um, I would urge everyone to to give it a shot, especially with with a team now that's got so many fun characters and personalities, and uh, you know, it makes for a really fun experience. So, if I if I say, if you show up at spring training, who's the first person you want to get eyes on in person? I want to watch it. I want to watch Bryce Miller throw the throw the baseball. Really, you know, you're I, already onto yeah. the future. Yeah, because I, I, I kind of – I don't think there's anything – my point with spring training this year is that I think it's going to be a pretty boring month, as it should be. You're just sort of hoping everyone stays healthy, and you already have the bummer of Taylor Trammell breaking his hammock bone, where really it kind of ends any sort of pressure on, on Jared Kelnick. I don't think there was much to begin with, but you sort of have to fabricate something where you – yeah, you know, you keep that fire under him and say you got to go earn it. And, you're, you know, you can, you know, make Cave Marlowe that guy. Um but, yeah, I think by and large, March should not be the most fun month of the year, just like August shouldn't be the most fun month of, uh, of, of your year of your NFL team. And for bad teams, that's the case. You know, I lived that when I was covering the Niners and the Titans before that and the Mariners. We've seen that so often where you're getting glimpses of these young guys, you know, in spring training or whatever and roster competitions and you know, position battles. And there shouldn't be a lot of that if you're a team that has World Series aspirations. So, you know, I think it'll be a fun month, but I don't think it's going to be this super newsworthy every day you're locked in, whatever. You're just hoping everyone stays healthy. So for me, it's like, yeah, I want to see what Bryce Miller looks like because if he's a guy who's joining your bullpen mid-year with another flamethrower, that's such an X factor down the stretch and into the postseason. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Jerry is just gushed about him to such a degree. It's like, all right, now I want to see what this kid's all about. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting as as much as I agree with all of that, there's the cool thing about spring training is for me anyway, I think getting a chance to see some of those guys up close throwing. The hitters, I don't know how much you can really tell. I mean, they all, you know, they're all taking batting practice, so they're just spraying the ball everywhere. But when you see Matt Brash throwing a bullpen, when you see Luis Castillo throwing a bullpen, when you see what 103 looks like out of Munoz's hand, I mean, like that 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 to me is one of those like that is that is as fun as anything else that happens during a baseball season because you can just sort of marvel at how ridiculous they are. For sure, it is amazing when you're up close how much faster it looks than it does on TV. It's it's hard to fathom how that works. Um, but yeah, you're like I didn't even see the baseball. I mean, that's right. I remember like when I the I played all the way through high school, and I think the fastest I ever saw was like mid eighties. And I felt like someone was throwing a firing a rocket launcher at me. <laughs> like, like I can't, I, I genuinely can't fathom stepping up there and having 18 miles an hour extra behind it. Um, I just don't know. I mean, hitting a baseball is just absurd. And then it's like, what? Oh yeah, we're just going to throw a 93 mile an hour slider that breaks right. 18 inches. It's like, okay, yeah, well, 
just I was just not even going to come up there and give it a shot. So have, I agree with you that the bullpens are mesmerized. Have you heard about this traject machine that they have? Do you know about this? I I have not. Tell me. This is pretty awesome. So we, we talked a little bit about this last week. So the traject machine, it's a pitching machine essentially, and the batters can you know go in take batting practice off of it. But it's also built with a database of every major league pitcher, or at least ninety percent, and it can mimic them exactly. Spin rate, Whoa. velocity, how much the ball breaks, arm angle, etc. It can't. I think it can't do a couple of the like side armors or or submarine type guys. But other than that, you can plug in Justin Verlander, and it will throw Justin Verlander at you exactly as Justin Verlander would. Except it doesn't make mistakes. So the guys try to hit it, and there's no mistakes to hit. You're just hitting Verlander at his very best every time. That's insane. Isn't technology, it? Technology is crazy, man. I don't know. That sounds impossible. Well, so here's uh, this. So, so hold on. So like two things. Bit, like, is that cheating a little bit? Like, is that Maybe. Like, unfair? I think there's, there's definitely an interesting question to be asked about it. But first of all, I should also mention it also will put like a, like a, an image of that person's windup leading into the pitch. So you can also time their windup as exactly as it would be. You see like an image of, again, Justin Verlander or whomever, uh, which is like displayed on the front of it. Um, and I guess my question is, would you feel comfortable standing in against it? It can't make a mistake. It can't hit you. Would you feel comfortable standing in against Munoz or whomever if it was a machine throwing? Yes, but I'd be, I'd be, I'd be so padded up. I'd look like the Michelin man out there. Like I would just, just in case. But it you can't know, hit I you. It's perfect. One. It's a machine. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit it anyways. No. So, like it's, you know, it, it's one of those things like just, I'm going to, I'm going to be so elbow padded, knee padded, whatever. And I'm still going to be bailing every time it comes by. I'll probably start outside the batter's box and yeah. get it my way to in. To see what it looks every like. Every pitch. Yeah. yeah. I think it's yeah. pretty awesome. What a, what a cool idea. All right, let me play a quick game with you. You ready? Better, yeah, I'm ready. Better, same, or worse this year? Better, same, or worse with maybe a one-sentence reason why. We'll start with Logan Gilbert. Better, same, or worse? Better. I think there's another gear he can get to. You know, if I'm I wrote in a, I think it was a mailbag last week. And so who's the breakout player for the Mariners this year? And I mean, it's sort of a, it's unfair to, I guess, take Logan Gilbert. They might be cheating because he was uh, a near all-star last year, but I think there's another gear to where he can get more in the air of George Kirby than being, you know, a middle of the rotation guy and truly look <laughs> consistently like a top of the rotation guy. He's added a pitch to his arsenal. Um, I, I think Logan Gilbert uh, better for okay. me. Robbie Ray. Uh, I think, the same. I think he is who he is to a degree at this point. He's going to have the strikeouts. Um, he'll hover around that three ERA. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to be able to trust him in big moments. Um, you know, but I think I think the same. I think he's what he is is more than serviceable if he's your what number three starter. Yeah. JP Crawford. I think better i think i'm i'm i'll buy into the injuries bugging him last year he wasn't healthy the bat was cold because of it the last month of the year certainly the glove will be better i mean we look at colton wong and jp crawford they were both terrible defensively by their own standards a year ago and so they're both banking on bounce back years Uh, i'll go better for jp crawford 
How about Julio? I think the same. Um, you know, a full season of what he did basically June through the end of the year is MVP caliber. So I don't want to get greedy and say, oh, yeah, way better because it's the second year and that's just how it goes. I mean, he was sensational. And so you hope the back stays healthy throughout the year. And, you know, you, you hope that the month of month and a half of a slow start doesn't happen. So I'll, I'll say largely the same. How about Suarez? Um, probably a bit worse. Um, I just, what he did offensively last year was seismic and it feels like, you know, probably a little bit coming back regression to the mean, I would say a little bit worse, but still very solid. And then how about Ty France? Um, again, you just hope for health with Ty France. Uh, I, I don't know if he'll be as good as he was at the beginning of the year or as bad as he was at the end of the year. Um, somewhere in between, but but again, just like Julio, you're just you're just hoping for health uh, when it comes to him because he, he's hit by a lot of pitches. He's shown that he's struggled to stay healthy for a full season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if he's healthy, he will be just fine. I'm not worried about Ty France maybe the way some fans are. Who finishes higher or with a lower score, Tiger Woods or Justin Thomas? They are right now tied through 19 holes. Uh, Justin Thomas. Wow. Says with great confidence. You know what? I think for our, the game you were just playing, I think Cal Raleigh is an interesting one. Oh, yeah. The most sure. Throw Cal on one. there. Um, and I, I think I, I nervously say worse. And I'm, I'm really worried about that thumb. Um, I, I don't think it's right yet hmm. um, from what I have heard. Uh, I think there, I think there's some concern there. And um, I, I don't think fans are, are paying enough attention to Tom Murphy because – how the Mariners do in 2023, I think Tom Murphy's going to have a huge say in that, much bigger than than most fans are sort of anticipating right now. Wow. All right. I'm, that is one I'm going to remember. That's a good piece of information. And if you're saying it, then I certainly believe you. That's something we'll watch for. And when we get down there, we'll be there the week of uh, February 27th. If you want to make it down that week, Joe, we'll be there. We'd uh, we'd love to see you. If you uh, if you don't have part of wedding season, then we'd uh, we'd love to see you down there. Hey, I'll see if I can make it happen. It would be great to see you guys in person. All right, buddy. Good stuff. There's Joe Fan. And read him, of course, at seattlesports.com. Uh, wrote about some of the roster spots and the competition for some of those uh, just yesterday. Well worth your time. Uh, go read Joe at seattlesports.com. And you can hear him with us every Friday at 730. All right. Uh, all right. No Brock today. So I have kind of a different plan for Blue 88. Let's hit it right now. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Salk. As I said, no Brock today, so I will be answering or asking the questions still, but I'm not going to answer them. I'm going to turn to some experts... Three former players to get them to answer. Just that their answers are on tape and they came before the question. How's that? So question number one for Tiki Barber. Where does Aaron Rodgers end up playing next year? He needs to stop talking. But when you go and you're doing something that feels odd to normal society, which is going to sit in a cabin in the woods for four days in complete uh, sensory isolation... It's just kind of, we're going to talk about it. Right? You have to. It's our job to. And for him to get offended by that, 
he's not going to handle the intensity of the New York media scape. That's obviously traditional media, social, and everything else if he's here. I don't know if I want him here because it's going to turn into a quick pain in the ass if Aaron Rodgers is thin. Wow. That, that shallow that he's taking shots at Ian Rappaport. I mean, he's right about some of that, right? I mean, if you're already in your head about the media and all of that, how are you going to handle the New York? Of your darkness retreat wrong? I mean, that's what he was upset about. I know. Like, it, it, like now look, Rogers has done a good job of turning to turning to alternative media to try, you know, like, like Pat McAfee, and I'll, I'll put him sort of loosely in that category. But New York is its own sort of special pressure cooker, and the tabloids there, etc., they live to get after you. Yeah, I, It's a good point, but I still think he's probably going to end up there. As much as Vegas is going to be the other opportunity for him, I think, with the Raiders and you know some of the friends that he has in that organization and their needs a quarterback, etc., uh, you know, clearly the Jets are doing everything in their power to try to re, you know, redo the whole Brett Favre situation and do it now with Aaron Rodgers, so... I'm here for that. I'm absolutely here for Aaron Rodgers versus the New York media. Two fairly loathsome individual or, or groups of people that uh, probably deserve each other. All right. Question number two. All right. From Tiki Bro- uh, Barber to his brother, Rondé Barber. What did you learn from watching the Super Bowl this year? Great defenses don't win championships anymore. <laughs> you know, we... Uh, 20 years ago, we beat the Oakland Raiders and Rich Gannon, who was the MVP, heck of a player, you know, a lot of respect for him, but we picked him off five times. Uh, we scored more points on defense than they did on offense, the Oakland Raiders, and the, and the Bucks offense did, for that matter, uh, in that Super Bowl win. In today's NFL, it is about the guy under center forcing his will on, on the game, and I think in early in that game, you saw Jalen Hurts do it for the Philadelphia Eagles. And late in that game, you saw Pastor Mahomes do it. I went into there not believing that Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes combination is, is, is beatable. I, I've just seen it too many times where they find ways to engineer drives. They score on every single possession in the second half. I think that's telling against what was, you know, the second best defense. But really, to me, one of the best defenses we've seen in a long, long time in the Eagles. Do you think he's right? Can you not win with defense anymore? I don't know whether that's entirely true. I mean, the Seahawks defense wasn't that long ago, although we're coming up on a decade and things do change rapidly. Not so much with the rules since then, although that's part of it, but just in terms of where this offensive scheme is going. All of that being said, if you watched football this year, defense still matters. Maybe it's not the only way to win it. You know, defense wins championships. Maybe that's no longer a true adage. But you still got to have a defense. The Chiefs' defense was much improved this year. Yeah. They had a lot of young guys running around and playing well. The Eagles got there primarily because of their defense this year. I mean, so the Niners were the other great team this year because of their defense. Buffalo, the reason they didn't get there is because too many guys on their defense got hurt. So, I, look, I'm not disagreeing with him entirely. Clearly, offense is different than it used to be in the NFL. But to say you can't win with defense anymore, I'm not willing to say that. Sorry, but I appreciate Rondé Barber. It's a good point. Question number three. 
All right, how relevant is scheme versus personnel? We were just talking about the importance of offense versus defense. Mark Schlereth on with Wyman and Bob earlier this week. The first part of game planning to me is not attacking somebody's weaknesses. It's mitigating your own. You look at yourself, you know, with a self-scout and say, hey, man, we got to be really good here, or this guy needs help in this situation, or, hey, our running back can't pick up that blitz, so we need to make sure that we do something, you know, to keep a tight end in, or whatever the case may be, and you mitigate your own issues. And then once you've mitigated issues, how do we attack people? And you saw, you know, the two touchdowns with the little short motions where, you know, they're 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 taking those corners who are trying to travel or trying to run with those those players that are going in motion and then, you know, flipping it out there. And I love the play repeating nature of Andy Reid. You know, you get it to Kadarius Tony on the first one, wide open, nobody covers him. Combination of a, a breakdown between Darius Slay and whoever was playing safety on that side. And then they get right back down on the red zone. They go, well, let's do it to the other side. He is right. I mean, clearly Andy Reid has been a difference maker. And, you know, it's been a little while since we've said that about the Seahawks in general. I think Pete is an unbelievable culture builder, and I don't think he's a slouch when it comes to how you design on a defense and what you know, play calling, et cetera, all of that. But it's not his strength. The thing that sets Pete apart is his ability to build a culture and to kind of get the most out of his guys. Because of that, I think the pressure does ratchet up a little bit on Shane Waldron and on Clint Hurt and on Sean Desai, et cetera. Uh, to to continue to be keeping up with the Joneses, like the Andy Reeds, like the Bill Belichicks, like the Sean McVeighs, like the Kyle Shanahan's, who really are on the cutting edge of what's possible in the game of professional football. There you go. That is today's Blue Eighty Eight with some help from uh, the Barbers and Mark Schlereth. What do you think? Do we need Brock? Do we need Brock for Blue 88? You did a pretty nice job. Did, it, did you feel like Brock? No, I mean, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. It was all Tiki <laughs> and Rondé and Mark. I didn't I didn't do anything. Those guys just answering three football questions that they answered first and then I asked. You know, it's like Jeopardy. Yeah. We just work in reverse here. All right. John Schneider joined the station yesterday. Yes, he spoke about Geno Smith. But beyond that, he explained why the offseason is so hard to predict. It sounds you'll want to hear next.